You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. The S&P gained more than 7% for the month of August to notch its best August since 1986 in what is traditionally a softer month for stock performance, and it followed that up uh, with uh, a decline of 3.4% for September. The Nasdaq uh, fared even worse. It was down 4.7% as uh, there was a threatened rotation out of tech. The animal spirits feel on edge as we now enter the squeaky bum part of the U.S. election race, and it's time to catch up with Chris Holdsworth, Chief Investment Strategist at Investing wealth and investments. Chris, let's start with our COVID tracker and how quickly or not economies are bouncing back. Uh, evening, Michael, and evening to all the listeners. Yeah, we've had to make a few adjustments to our, our tracking data. And Google is reviewing the methodology that they use to calculate um, the, the tracking data, and they said they'll provide an update soon. And we hope it is soon because we'll be able to get an estimate for Q3 GDP then within the next couple of weeks, well ahead of when those releases come out. But in the absence of the tracking data, we have to rely on some more conventional economic data. And the most timeless series one can use for that is what's known as manufacturing PMIs. It's a survey that goes out every single month, and any number above 50 in the answers means that that activity for that sector is growing month on month, not year on year, month on month. And what we're seeing is manufacturing PMI series for around the world are coming out with very strong releases. So the number for September was 52.3. It's the highest number we've seen in two years. And it's very encouraging because if you look at all the subcomponents of that survey, when they go and ask manufacturers about current output, new orders, new export orders, future output, they're all showing expansion. The only subcomponent that's not is employment. And so what's happening is you find that manufacturers around the world have been forced to figure out how to work with fewer workers because of COVID, some of those methods are going to be permanently adopted. So employment prospects in the manufacturing sector doesn't look good. But in terms of actual output, we are seeing activity picking up fairly rapidly pretty much everywhere in the world. Chris, would you say that a big part of that was uh, a lot of the, the stock and the inventory that uh, companies held was drawn down during lockdown? And as we've seen uh, economies reopen uh, and that uh, inventory has been drawn down, we're seeing a restocking to go along with continued demand. That's exactly right. If you delve into the responses from the survey, the indication was largely along that line. And in addition, we're seeing an increase in export orders as well which points to a picture of global trade recovering more rapidly, actually, than, than total global GDP. And so it is very encouraging for a small open economy like South Africa. It's very important for us because manufacturers ultimately consume the sort of commodities that we export, sort of platinum and iron ore that goes into making vehicles. So as manufacturing activity globally picks up, it's very helpful for our export basket, very helpful for the RAND. And uh, as we saw recently, our own uh, PMI at uh, 58.3. Uh, month on month, though, and one has to be mindful that because it's month on month, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you return to pre-pandemic levels. But the trend is certainly uh, your friend in this one. U.S. employment, uh, we had the numbers out on Friday. Uh, it's showing a slight improvement, but it's ever so gradual. Yeah, this just gets added to the long list of U.S. data that's come out recently and disappointed. You've got durable sales, you've got retail sales, and a number of other measures, industrial production. And it's all just slightly behind expectations, which is very different from what we had a month and a half ago when all the data coming out of the U.S. was surprising materially on the upside. And just like South Africa, where the unemployment rate improved, in the U.S. it improved predominantly because people were out looking for jobs 
in a reduced way relative to before. So they were unable to look for employment. So you had slightly more people working, but many more people that were discouraged, and therefore the unemployment rate drops. So when looking at these numbers, it's key to actually just look at the total number of people employed rather than the unemployment rate. And if we do that, what you can see at this point in the U.S. is that the total number of people employed is still down around about 7% relative to the previous peak, which is still worse than the bottom of the global financial crisis. And if you look at every recession post-World War II through to now, we are still at the worst levels compared to any of the other recessions. So this is, would be abnormal now, even after the V-shaped recovery. So there's a desperate need, obviously within the U.S., but more broadly around the world, to still get some stimulus through because there's a long way to go from an employment perspective to get back to what we would consider normal. And that's why we're uh, certainly the market is watching stimulus talks over in Washington so keenly. Uh, this uh, very testy U.S. election not helping that either. But before we talk about the U.S. election, what are we seeing um, on the inflation front? Now, this is a key series. We need to keep a very close eye on, on global inflation. And, and the reason I say that is that we've got money supply growth in the U.S. currently running at over 20% up year on year. It's unprecedented. We've never seen that sort of growth in money supply. And the conventional thinking up until the global financial crisis was that when you see money supply growth of that sort of order, you will ultimately see inflation down the line. And there's two schools of thought. There's those saying, but we didn't see inflation during the global financial crisis, so we won't see it now. And there's those saying, well, now it's different from then because we've got a supply side crisis as well, like you mentioned, with manufacturers and their inventories. So we need to keep a very close tab on what's happening in inflation to see which one of those schools of thought is likely to be more correct. And what we've seen over the past month is inflation surprising on the upside in a number of countries around the world, but importantly in the U.S. The core PCE inflation, which is what the Fed looks at, came out at 1.6% last month. The consensus estimate was 1.4%. The previous month was 1.4%. So it's, it's picking up, and it's surprising the upside. Now, normally a print like that would see markets reconsidering their views around when the Fed is likely to hike. Mm. They didn't this time. And the reason they didn't is about three weeks ago or so, and the Fed came out and said that they are changing their approach. They said, we're no longer going to hike preemptively. We're going to wait for inflation to get to 2% before we hike. So inflation picks up to 1.6. The market says, well, it's fine. The Fed is not going to do anything. And if they do anything, it's going to be down instead of up. So we've got this pickup in the background, which we need to be very cognizant of, but it's not having any effect on markets at this point because the Fed has told everybody, don't worry about it for now, let's worry about it in, in 12 months' time. Mm, uh, just a few more of those prints uh, beating expectations uh, on the upside at maybe coming in at 1.8 or, or more next time round, and mm. uh, you start to really see this becoming a material issue in markets uh, as to when the Fed then uh, starts uh, looking at inflation a little bit more seriously. Uh, you also released a, a very interesting graph here on the dispersion in the U.S. equity market at the moment. Just take us through this. This is real feast and famine type of stuff. Now. If, if you look at S&P 500 constituents, or rather all of the stocks listed in the U.S., so outside of the S&P 500, you've got the Russell 2000, all of it, you put them all together, and you have a look at how many stocks have actually gone up by 400% within the first nine months of the year. So this year, so far, we've had about 25 stocks in the U.S. up 400% at some point in the first nine months. The last time that happened was 2001. For certain stocks, this has been the most successful year yet that we've had, going back 20 years. The flip side of that, however, is that we've got running at a, we're running at a record rate when it comes to the number of bankruptcies in the U.S. 
At this point, we've had over 40 companies with more than a billion dollars of debt and filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the U.S. That's the fastest rate we've seen for this time of the year yet. And by the end of the year, we're probably going to land up with a record number uh, higher than the global financial crisis. So on the one hand, you've got a record number of companies filing for bankruptcy. On the other hand, you've got more companies than we've seen in the past 20 years going up by 400% in the first nine months of the year. It just speaks to the massive dispersion of performance within the U.S. market. It's a real K-shape recovery stuff that uh, where we see uh, yeah. one one part of the economy on the up leg of the K and the other on the down leg. Uh, what are you seeing on the travel front? A very interesting tweet from Michael Jordan over the weekend that government needs to understand certain industries just can't survive on 50% uh, or less capacity and uh, travel certainly one of them. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we're looking at a number of surveys around the world to give us an indication of what's happening in travel. It is significant for GDP. You've got countries like Spain, which Travel and tourism accounts for 10% of GDP. In South Africa, it's around 3%. In the US, it's just over 3 In the UK, it's closer towards 5 So it's an important sector to keep close tabs on. And what we're hearing of late is not encouraging at all. Um, and it's, but it is understandable. You've got about 70% of companies around the world that have suspended domestic travel. 92% have suspended international travel. So there's obviously very little business travel happening. And the CEO of Delta has actually come out saying... We've seen the peak of business travel in 2019. It will never go back to what we had before because people would adopt methods like Zoom and, and other forms of communication without meeting face-to-face. And we can see it in Vegas as well. People are starting to go back from a tourism perspective. They're driving there and offline there, but they haven't hosted a single convention in the past three months. And if you chat to hotels in the U.S., I mean, there was a recent survey conducted asking how many of them think that they would go bust in the next six months if things continue at the current trajectory. So there has been an improvement, so extend that improvement. Oh, what percentage of companies go bust? In the US, it's 67% of hotels so that without government assistance, they will go bust within the next six months. 74% of hotels say without government assistance, they are going to be retrenching by year end. So we've seen a lot of stimulus provided, and to some degree that's sheltered the employment situation within hospitality in the U.S. Given that those stimulus packages have come to an end, we may well be about to see sort of a second wave of retrenchment in that space for one, but for two, a massive number of bankruptcies, which will be very helpful for the, the incumbents that survive. They will have some sort of pricing power, but we could be about to see absolute carnage in, in hotel and leisure, not just in South Africa, but, but globally. And it's still not enough, if you have a look at the strength of the U.S. housing market, uh, to derail what has been one of the standout stories through this uh, whole COVID-19 period. The U.S. housing market continues to cook. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's that K-shaped type recovery you mentioned before. And there's pockets of society that haven't lost any income during this period. By working from home, they've been forced to actually save. They were unable to go out. They saved on transit costs. And interest rates are at record low, so they're able to take advantage of the current situation. We know that mortgage applications in the U.S. are running at a record high, and that's led to prices up about 3% year-on-year. And that's a global phenomenon. We're seeing exactly the same thing in the U.K. Last month, over 85,000 mortgages were certified or signed off on in, in the U.K., which is the highest number we've seen since before the global financial crisis, well above consensus. And house prices in the UK are up about three and a bit percent as well. And I was chatting to our UK colleagues today about this, and they said it's exactly the same story as you mentioned for the US market. They're up three and a bit percent on average, but the top end is doing very well, and the lower middle end is not doing very well at all. 
So again, we need to apply some form of fine to Cosmia, but we probably are getting that case shape not just in equities, but in, in home prices too. And then the, the US election remains a, a big issue for markets at the moment. Uh, uh, it looks like Biden has now opened up a, a quite sizable lead, whichever way you look at it. If you look at betting markets, I was having a look at uh, a Reuters uh, poll over the weekend, a Reuters Ipsos poll. It shows that Biden has now opened his widest lead in a month in that US presidential race. Uh, how 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 are you tracking it? And um, what does either one mean for markets, a Biden win or a Trump re-election? Yeah, we keep a very close eye on this. So elections are November 3rd, about a month to go. And there are a couple of ways to look at it. You can do it through the betting market and you can back out the implied probability of any given outcome. And if you do that, at this point, the market is pricing in about a 60% chance, just over 60% chance of the Democrats controlling both the House and the Senate. And there's also, according to the betting market, a roughly 60% chance that Biden wins the presidency rather than Trump. So all in all, the Democrats are favorites for a clean sweep, and it's to control the House, the Senate, and the presidency. In which case, one needs to do some very careful analysis as to what that implies for both the economy and for the equity market. And we've been going through quite a bit of this sort of process to make sure we have a firm understanding. And based on the estimates that we're using, in effect, should the Biden policies be adopted, we'll land up with an improved growth outlook. And the two countervailing forces there are, on the one hand, higher taxes down the line, but on the other hand, increased stimulus and offsetting each other. But more from that, from the equities market, you've got to be quite careful because the Biden camp is going to be unable to impose increased taxes in year one because the U.S. economy is still fairly weak. And we know 7% fewer people employed now than they were before. It's not the environment you, you hike taxes. So what was likely to occur is you land up with extra stimulus being applied in year one, which actually boosts S&P earnings up by about 10% or so. And then in year two, three, and four, you land up with the higher taxes coming through. The net effect is, from an earnings perspective, a boost to short-term earnings, a knock to longer-term earnings. From a GDP perspective, an improvement relative to baseline in the US. Chris Holdsworth, Chief Investment Strategist at Investec Wealth and Investments with some fantastic insight into the US election. And the one thing markets certainly don't want is uh, for uncertainty. So anything anything like a delay, uh, thanks to COVID-19, we'll certainly be tracking that very closely over the coming uh, weeks as we build up to that key date of November 3rd.